Jewish audio on Kaban.org. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchais, the laws, Matnot Aniyim, of the gifts to the poor. Aleph, Pedic Chi, chapter 9. <coughs> Aleph 1. Now, before we go into these detailed laws, I want to just explain that every time and every place is different. But every community must have some systematic program to help support the poor of its community, as well as the visiting poor. Uh, just to give you an example, there's a, an, or, a, an organization in Los Angeles uh, called Tomche Shabbos, supporters of needy families for Shabbos, and that extends much more to food for Shabbos. There's an organization in Crown Heights run by the Stock family, the famous Shimshon Stock of blessed memory, supporting the poor and the needy. This, in every community, there are certain setups, hopefully. And then there are visiting poor who come from here and there and everywhere, and we learn some basic teachings from the Rambam. Aleph, kol ir shiyesh bo Yisrael, every community, every city which has Jewish inhabitants with it, chayovin laham mehem must set up within the community people who are in charge of soliciting charity for the needs of the poor. Who are these people? Anoshim, these are people, Yuduim, who would be known and trustworthy, who should visit all of the people from week to week. Preferably on Thursday night, Friday, Erev Shabbos, and they take from each and every person, whatever he can afford to give, and whatever has been set upon him by the organized community. The Rambam is talking about a situation where there's a very organized community who can actually levy a tax on each individual. The Hain and these are people who mechalkin hamoiz, who divide the monies, may add of Shabbos, the of Shabbos, from Friday to Friday, because Thursday night, Friday, is the time when the poor need to set themselves up for Shabbos and for the coming week. And they have to give each poor person sustenance which will last them for seven days. And this is called the fund called the Kupa. Jack. Kupa actually means a box, a container, and many charity solicitors, I know that Shimshon Staka, blessed memory, used to do this in New York, used to walk around with this massive box, and he would tell everybody to put their monies in. That's the Kupa. So this Kupa has to sustain the poor. Bring me another pair of glasses there first. And so also, we establish people in charge, trustees, 
This is another fund. The first fund, again, was a fund which collects what? Money. Every week. Distributes it every week. To the poor, so they have what to eat for the week. So, uh, now remember, all of this is on top of all of the local institutions and the local organizations and the synagogues and the schools and the mikvah. This is specifically for the local poor. The Rebbe, when he set up Chabad houses, says that one of the functions he wanted the Chabad house to have is also a place where if somebody is in temporary trouble, they can turn to and get temporary assistance. That's part of the, so to speak, mandate of a Chabad house. Obviously, the abilities are limited because funding is often limited. But that's why you'll see, by and large, in a Chabad house, a poor person comes in, he's never turned away empty, and so on and so forth. Okay. Now, there's a secondary level of charity. And we have set up trustees who go every day and take from every courtyard. People used to live in condominium complexes, courtyards. They used to go to the courtyard, go door to door, pass bread, and food, sushi, a paris or fruits, a moist or money. This is from people who, on the spur of the moment, are able to put something into this pot. It could be a piece of gefilte fish, it could be a piece of hamburger, whatever they can. This was a daily thing. By and large, it was food. And people would collect, would distribute this collected food at the evening time, dinner time, between the poor. And they would give each poor person whatever he needed if he was hungry for that day. Remember, the earlier charity was called Kupa, the container. This is not called Kupa, because Kupa is only for money. This is for food too. This is called Tamchui. And Tamchui is like a multi-layered pot, tray, vessel, where you can compartmentalize, where you can put a little this and a little this. And at the end of the day, it has a lot of food in it. And the hungry come and they take a little of this and a little of this. Gimbal, now the Rambam says, Israel. We have never seen, and we have never heard that there is an organized community within the Jewish people, She'ein lohem kupa shaltzdaka, which does not have a fund called this container of charity. Avol but tamchui, this food program, yesh mekei there are places which customarily have it, and there are places that don't have it. <coughs> and the simple custom today is, said the Rambam, some 850 years ago, that the trustees of the Kupa collect money daily. But they distribute it weekly. 
Because again, weekly is the program of distribution. So again, different places do different customs and so on. Okay. Dalid, Betainius, what about fast days? We all know that there are fast days in the Jewish year. What happens at a fast day? You fast. What happens at the end of the fast day? You eat. That is if you have food. What if you don't have food, God forbid? Betainius, during fast days, Mechalk and Mezenis Laniim. We distribute food to the poor people, which is the forerunner of the custom. And we do it here, that when there is a fast day, you set up food so that at the end of the fast, people can come in and eat. Because you never know who has food at home and who doesn't have food at home. Now listen to the language of the Rambam. The whole time any fast where the people ate, the people who had food went home and ate. The law knew when they went to sleep. But they forgot to distribute charity to the poor. They're like murderers. Who knows if these people had food? And the verse says, They go to sleep feeling righteous. And now they're murderers. How could you allow hungry people to go to sleep? When does this apply? When does this apply when one did not offer the bread and the fruits to the poor? For example, the regular dates and grapes that they distribute. But if they gave out the regular dates and they gave out the regular fruits, it's just that the money and the bread... Or the, the grain came a little late. Einon Shaif Kedamim, that's not a problem. And as you know, we sit here and study every day, as I often say. What's the difference between studying with us live and studying with us on the internet? The difference is when you study live, there's food here. On the internet, they never serve food. So I want to just point out that people come and visit from all over. Local poor come. People come visiting from Israel, from Argentina, from New York. The first thing we do is we offer them food. First thing that ever wanted in the Chabad house is eat. You're hungry, eat. Then we'll talk about what you're here for, what you're not here for, and so on and so forth. So that number one is eat. They tell the old famous joke that they came to Golda Meir. A blessed memory, Goldala. And they said, Golda, by the Yom Kippur War, they're attacking us from all over, they're planning terrible things. She says to her general, sit down, first we'll eat, then we'll talk. In a Jewish world, first we'll eat, you've got to eat first. So the first thing you have to do is, somebody comes in, he's a stranger, take something to eat. That's what the Rambam is saying here. Hey, now... It's important that there be honesty in the collection department and that people not take off with the money. It's called embezzling. Hakupa, this fund, should be collected. Remember, we talk about people going house to house every day or at least once a week. Should be collect, the collection should be made by two people. 
In general, you don't put any financial discipline upon people. Remember, these are organized communities who have the power to impose. You don't impose any financial obligation on people unless there are two people. It's not that we don't trust the guy. We trust the one trustee. But still, for public funding, you need to. When it comes to the division of who gets what, here it's better to have three. Three people. Why? Because three people is like a bedin, like a court. Because it's almost like a <coughs> financial dispute here. Who gets what? Do I get the bigger piece? Do you get the bigger piece? All the poor, they want the best. They're hungry. Because they have to give every poor person, every local poor man, enough food for the week. This is a big, a big decision. Sometimes the fund is short. But the food collection, which we said is a daily experience, is collected by three. That's not set. is divided preferably by a group of three. Now he says, what's the difference between Tamchui and Kupa? Tamchui is that food collection. Kupa is the money collection. So the Rambam says in six, bottom line, let me just have a sip of tea, I made a bracha earlier, that a Tamchui, the food collection, Nigma B'chol is collected daily. Every day people have leftovers. Every day people will have extra food. Every day people will take, even before they eat, and give food to the poor. It's a daily experience. Vehakupa, but the financial fund, of Shabbos, of Shabbos is weekly. <coughs> What's the difference between the assigned recipients of the fund? The food bank is for the poor of the world, for visiting poor, why? Because the visiting poor were not given a seven-day allocation. So they don't have. They're traveling. The hakupa, but kupa, the fund, is laniya esayir bevat, only for the local poor. Because the local poor get a seven-day allocation. The visiting poor, they're hungry and they need dinner. Zion, now, what if there is a surplus in one fund? And lacking in the other fund, a shortage in the other fund, the communal trustees may lasses to make kupa into a tamchui and tamchui into a kupa. They can exchange one with the other. Where they can use it for any communal need, they see fit. Even though that's not exactly what they collected for. Now, sometimes disputes can develop. Sometimes people could say, I gave this for food of the hungry. What are you doing with this money? If there was a great scholar or a great sage, a rabbi that everybody trusted, where all the collections are made for his overseeing, and he will distribute somebody that people trust, then he has the authority, because he has the confidence of the people to reassign the surplus and so on. Now, 
There is a verse which we're going to talk about now. Very important verse. The verse says, You should be clean. You should be pure in God's eyes and in people's eyes. We should never do things that people may suspect us of doing wrongdoing, even though we're not really doing wrongdoing. It just looks that way. So therefore, he says, Gabites, uh, these trustees, these collectors of these funds, are not permitted to leave each other alone so that they'll end up being one. Only for a short time, this one could go here, and this one could go to the store and collect and so on. But as a rule, they should try and stick together. What if the trustee, the gabai, the collector, is walking down the street and he finds a $100 bill sitting on the ground? Whose money is it? If he is walking as an individual, it's his money. The problem is people are going to see him taking a $100 bill and putting it in his pocket instead of in the box. He should not put it into his pocket because people will talk because they won't understand that he found it. Let him better put it in the box of charity money. When he gets home, he could take it for himself. Because it is his. Because he found it. But we don't want people accusing him of embezzling money. Another example of how careful we have to be. Again, it's not that the community does not have confidence in these people. They do. They just don't want bad messages to go out. What if the trustee, this collector, on a personal note, met a creditor of his, and he said, you know, you've been owing me money for the longest time. The guy says, all right, here's my $100. And he paid him in the street while he's walking with the charity box. So again, what does the onlooker see? What does the Homeland Security camera see? They see a man giving him money and him putting it into his private wallet. Better he should not put it into his pocket, into his own wallet. Better put it into the community chest. We get the word community chest from Monopoly. Just kidding. When he comes home, he can take it. Furthermore, when he counts the money from the kupa, from the fund, he should not count it by twos. He should count it by one. Why? Because people will see him counting by twos. They'll say, one for the fund, one for me. One for the fund, one for me. You should be pure, guiltless in God's eyes and in the eyes of Yisrael, of Israel. What if there's a fun collector who collected charity, but there are no poor people? They can go ahead and exchange the small coins for larger coins and put it away for later. <coughs> now, as we've pointed out quite a few times, today, if you have 10 singles, you get a $10 bill. You have 10 $10 bills, you get a $100 bill. It's easy. But back then, every coin had to have weight. So it was not so simple. You just don't go change small for large. 
because you may have good coins, you may have mediocre coins. So therefore, we're concerned, they shouldn't exchange the small funds for the larger coins for themselves, because maybe they're going to cheat the charity. Because maybe the weight is not equal pasqual. So they do it for other people. For other people, we know they're going to be meticulous. For themselves, they may be a little lenient. The trustee of the food bank, who doesn't have who to distribute it to. Now, small coins, currency, you can exchange for larger coins, for gold coins. But food, what are you going to do with the food? You can't even say you put it in the freezer. They didn't have freezers back then. It was before GE brought good things to life. What do you do? You sell it. However, don't sell it to yourself, Mr. Trustee. Because we don't trust you. Sell it to somebody else. Imagine the guy's going to pay $1 for a big potato cookie. Furthermore, we don't have to go and demand an accounting from the trustee. Again, we trust him. We don't go to the holy temple, speak to the treasure and demand an accounting. We have to assume that if they are trustees, we trust them. Nevertheless, it says that the trustees should issue an accounting. Now, we're talking about a very organized community where people can actually be levied, taxed for charity. Who can be taxed for charity? Anybody who lives in a community, in a city for 30 days, they can force him to put money into the community chest, into this box for the needs of the poor. What if he's there three months? Then not only does he have to donate cash once a week, but he has to go and donate daily to the food bank. What if he's living there not 30 days, not three months, but six months? Then we go one step further and he's coerced. He's taxed to give charity, with the garments, where the poor of the community are clothed. Yashav Shamti Shechadoshim, what if he's there nine months? Kefen Eisilitin Sdokalik Furish Kefen Basaniyim. He's coerced to pay for burial needs for the poor who don't have money. Vaisilahem Kotsar Chikvura, and this fund provides burial needs for the indigent. So this guy is here for nine months. He has to contribute even to the burial need fund. Now we've decided who can give, who can take. Who is considered poor enough to take? If somebody has two meals at home, <coughs> he has two meals. He should not be a recipient of the food bank. The food bank is for hungry people. You have two meals, go eat. 
If you have 14 meals, the whole innovation of people eating three meals a day is a recent innovation. People used to eat two meals a day. Two meals times seven is 14. If you have 14 meals, you've got enough for the week. If you have 14 meals, you should also not take from the fund which provides money for people for the week. Remember we said the local poor are given an allocation for the week. This guy doesn't need it. He has 14 meals. He has a week of eating. Okay, now, if you remember, we learned extensively earlier about the agricultural gifts to the poor. Leket, shikha, peya, the corner of the field, the pieces of grain that fell, the bundles that were forgotten, the poor come and get it. Who's poor? Who is considered poor enough to be a recipient of these gifts to the poor? Can somebody come in and say, I, I, I'm feeling poor today? You know, the beautiful story that I love to tell of the man who comes to the rabbi, he's very depressed. The rabbi says to him, why are you so depressed? He says, why am I depressed? He says, you won't believe it. He says, three weeks ago, a great uncle I never met died and left me $100,000. He said, that's wonderful, but why are you depressed? He says, huh, you haven't heard the end. Two weeks ago, a great aunt that I never knew I had died, and she left me $50,000. Wow, but why are you depressed? Last week, a distant cousin I never knew existed left me $25,000. Beautiful, but why are you depressed? He says, why am I depressed, Rabbi? This week, nothing. <laughs> it's a good reason to be depressed. So the question is, this guy... Can he go take money from the fund? Because this week, nothing. It's a good question, huh? Even Daniel thinks it's a good question. He's going to give a number to it, so. Okay. So now he learns. Now he says, If somebody has 200 zoos, <coughs> $200, even though he only has 200 zoos to his name. Imagine if somebody only has 200 zoos. And then he spends five, so he has 195. And every day he depletes it, and before you know it, he has nothing. So 200 zoos is not that much if you live off of it, if you have no income. Or, or, he has 50 zoos, but he invests, he makes money. He has an income. It's an active investment fund. This guy who has 200 zoos, that's stationary, that just sits there. And from this he lives. I'll, I'll never forget, I, I, I've shared this story in the past. Many years ago when we had the building campaign to build the Chabad headquarters in Tarzana, there was a very generous fellow who made a very generous pledge to give a large amount to the building fund. And then things didn't go that well, and business had certain reverses. So he uh, came to me and he says, I'm really sorry, I can't pay my pledge. So I said to him, I don't understand you. You're a very wealthy man. I mean, seriously wealthy. Can't you pay your pledge? He says, Rabbi, you want me to take it from savings? I never heard that before. 
because I don't have a savings account. You want me to take it from savings? So now I know that it's a crime to ask somebody to take something from savings. That's what we're talking about. This guy has $200, but it's his savings. That's all he has. You can't take something from savings when there's no income. So, nevertheless, if he has more than $200 or more than 50 whatever Zuz is, he should not take from these funds. But if he was a little bit under the 200 slightly under, then I feel the elephant then even if somebody gave him a thousand zoos at one time, again, if they give it to him one after the other, he's not allowed to accept it when he, once he reaches 200. But if he gets it in one shot, he could take it, because at the time that he got it, he was under 200. What if he has money, but he owes more money? Or they're leaned for the marriage contract of his wife. Then again, he could be the recipient for charity. A poor man who has needs, he has a courtyard, he has furniture. Even if he has certain silver and certain gold vessels, we don't obligate him to sell his furniture and sell his stuff. He may take tzedakah. It's a mitzvah to give him. When does this apply? If we're talking about stuff that is everyday use, and they happen to have silver spoons or whatever, however, if he has other types of stuff, like a golden comb and so on, not practical stuff, not stuff that he uses, he sells them, and he could buy a cheaper comb in Costco, he could buy a box of combs. When does this apply? Before he comes to collecting the people. After he collected, he's obligated to sell his furniture. And to take others cheaper. To buy others cheaper, and then and only then should he take charity. Fifteen. What if there's a average, normal person who's traveling, and he ran out of funds? You know, I guess it was the day, days before internet banking or credit card swiping. You don't have money. You don't have money. Then he may take on all of the charitable benefits, even though back home he has a lot of money. Why? Because imagine somebody has money at home, nobody knows him. He comes into the community and says, I have money at home, but right now I have no money. Can you give me a few thousand dollars? No one's going to give him anything. Because that's exactly what con men do. Con men say, tell you stories. So therefore, for all practical purposes, this guy's poor. Even though he's got money at home, but he can't use it. I have situations where people come to see me often. 
And they tell me a story, this happened, and that happened, and that happened, and that happened. And I say, where are you from? Okay. Who do you know? And I make two phone calls, and I find out if the guy's real or the guy's a con man. But that's because we have the Chabad network. So we know people all over. When he gets home, should you say that he must rush a FedEx to repay it? Not necessarily. <coughs> I mean, it's nice. But because at that time, technically he was poor. What can this be compared to? There was somebody who was poor who then became wealthy. Does he have to repay all the charity he was ever given? It's nice if he becomes the most charitable person he knows, but he's not obligated to repay all the charity he was given because at the time he took it, he was genuinely poor. This visiting fellow is also genuinely poor. Just because he has money at home, he can't use it. Somebody who has real estate, he has houses, he has fields, he has vineyards. Even today we know. <coughs> What's the best time to sell a house? June. Don't sell a house in December. Because you'll get a cheaper price. I don't know if this still holds, but uh, that's what my mother taught me. <laughs> so, this fellow is hungry. He has fields, he has houses, he has vineyards. But if he sells it now, he's going to sell it under price. If he waits until the summer, he'll get full price. He's not forced to sell. You can give him from the tithe of the poor until half the value of what he has. Let him not do a fire sale and lose his property. What if, in general, people were buying property at high prices? But because he's in a hurry, he is fire sailing. Again, it's the right season, but in order to get a good price when you sell, you need to have patience. You can't expect to sell overnight. Overnight, you're going to get a, small, a lower price. It's called fire sale. We're not obligating him to sell. Fire sale. He can benefit from the tithe of the poor. continue until he'll sell for fair market value. Let the world know that he's not desperate to sell. So he can get a decent price. When funds were collected for a per person, so he can satisfy his needs. And then whatever he needed was covered. And then some, what happens to the extra? The extra belongs to him. It was collected in good faith for him. Everything was, on, uh, was above, above par, but was, was kosher. Then he keeps it. The rule is... We actually touched upon this rule in our Monday night Talmud class, in our Sanhedrin class, where Meisad Aniyim La'aniyim, whatever is left over from campaigns for the poor goes to the poor. Meisad Shvuyim, whatever is left over from 
a campaign to redeem captives, Lishwiyim goes for redeeming captives. Meiser Shavi, Meiser Shavi, a particular captive goes to the particular captive. Meiser Meisim, and this is the subject we dealt with extensively in Sanhedrin. That which is left over for a campaign to help bury an indigent person, Lameisim should go for the burial of the indigent. Meiser Hameis of a particular person's campaign should go to his heirs, and there's a lot of discussion as to what is and what isn't on this whole issue. Yutes, closing paragraph, What if a poor man comes and gives a coin to the food bank, or he gives a coin to the money bank, we take it from him. Because even the poor have to give charity. If he doesn't give, then he's not taxed. What if a poor man is given new clothes and he gave back his old clothes? We take it. And somebody could use the old clothes. But if he doesn't give it back, we don't go run after him and demand his old clothes. End of chapter 9.